Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I am really excited today to have with me Deb Coviello. Deb, welcome to my show. Meredith, thank you so much. I am excited. You and I have talked so many times. I feel like we could go on and on for hours. So grateful for you having me on here and can't wait to see where you're going to take this conversation. So thank you again. I know. Um, Yes. So my audience knows Deb and I were introduced by a mutual friend um, and uh, Terry Nichols. And we have just become very fast friends since then. And it's just been such a pleasure to get to know Deb and the work that she's doing. So let me give you a formal introduction to Deb, and then we will get into some, I know, wonderful discussions and questions. So Deborah Coviello is the founder of Illumination Partners. And as the drop-in CEO, she brings more than 20 years worth of experience and strategy in quality and operational excellence. She uses that knowledge coupled with 15 years in the flavors and fragrance industry, which I'm curious to learn more about, Deb. That's a new industry for me. And she uses this knowledge and experience to identify, assess, and solve the issues that are preventing business growth in a specific client's company. She has the distinction of being the only female quality and continuous improvement consultant in the flavors and fragrances industry. And she's also an active member in the American Society for Quality. And I believe you've been a speaker at a number of their events, right? World Conference and several more coming up. Oh, great. And Deb is also the host of the Drop-In CEO podcast, where she is a magnificent host. She does tremendous um, homework on her guests and is so well-prepared and yet so intuitive about following the conversation. And I know this firsthand because I was a guest on her podcast earlier this year. And the chemistry with us, Deb, has just been so wonderful. I'm really delighted to be able to have this conversation and record it so that my guests can really appreciate who you are and the wonderful work that you're doing in the world. And I know we share this passion for leadership, strong leaders. And so I'd like to start off by having you talk a little bit about your journey as a leader and how it led you to doing the work you're doing now for what you call human-centric leaders. All right. So, Meredith, thank you so much. And there's so much to pack in there. But I think, you know, I've always been a leader at heart. I've always wanted to be a problem solver. I started out in engineering. I got a degree in biomedical engineering and uh, then went into um, the defense industry. But 
I could have had a job in simply product engineering, working on defense systems, but I took the opportunity to participate in their professional leadership program. It was actually called their Manufacturing Management Development Program. So while I was able to build technical skills in quality, process engineering, et cetera, I would have the good fortune of once a month listening to fantastic speakers, gaining insights, and developing my leadership skills. So along the way, by nature, as being a problem solver, I've been in a number of different industries, operational excellence, trying to get uh, better performance, better, faster, cheaper, quality to make sure that when people buy a product, it's a brand they can trust. I have always loved that area, but I've always put myself in a position of, I want to run it. <laughs> I want to run this meeting. Uh, I had always had a strong voice. I wanted to help others to get to the particular problem. It's just always been a part of me. But I will say that along the way, you know, sometimes having a strong voice is a challenging and people don't know how to deal with it. So I will say over the years, I would speak up, I would have my voice and people would say, you talk too much or that wasn't appropriate. And what I find, however, is that anytime I was given that kind of feedback, whether it was as a child in school being too talkative or being in business saying you should have said that in the moment, you don't get the coaching or the feedback that you need to say, okay, we understand why you did that. But here might be another way to approach it. And so I didn't have a lot of leaders that I could model their behavior. Yes, I had good managers that would promote me along the way, but those that had true insight that could um, present me behavior that I could model, that I could learn from to give me the feedback that I need, um, I had to do a lot of it on my own. And so I'm at a point in my career after moving into the flavors and fragrance industry, having some great companies to work with some challenges and having to figure out what leadership is needed at what time and also how to elevate people. And we can talk more about that. The best tool in the toolbox is elevating people. I was able to come to a place where not only in my own business provide the technical skills in quality, food safety, operational excellence, but my most purposeful work that I absolutely love, and you know this, is what can I do for the people to give them the essential or soft skills they need? Yes, technically how to solve the problem. So when I leave, they're in a better place. We've left a legacy and they can perform at a higher level. So you used to work inside a company in a specific position there. And more recently, you are brought into companies, right? Correct, yes. To do work. And so give us an example of the kind of project uh, or challenge that a company might be having that you, uh, that they say, oh, Deb's the one that can do, can help us with this. So thank you for that. There are two business models that seem to resonate for the small and medium-sized flavor company. And again, a flavor is something that will go into a consumer product, such as a potato chip or a soup or macaroni and cheese or a Coke. We provide those flavors that you um, enjoy, those name brands, Procter & Gamble, uh, Stouffer's, all of that. You won't see the companies that I work for, but you'll see the end consumer products. Ah, okay. Yeah, so one particular client that I have, I'm very grateful for, is that they're a very small player, but they want to be able to remain a viable player, supplier to larger companies. And with food safety, 
becoming even more and more critical. The supply chain is so fragile and can be broken. Companies want the assurance that certain companies meet the minimum, maybe better standards in terms of food safety. So there are standards, you get certified to it. And what I have found is because I've had the good fortune of working for IFF and Givadon, the number one and the number, the number three and the number one global flavors and fragrance companies, I have that experience. I know what it takes to build up a robust food safety and quality program. So these highly self-aware small and medium-sized business owners or VPs of operations will seek somebody else, else out that knows what better looks like because they built their intellectual property and their business based on a really great product and great culture. But they also know they need an outside perspective that knows exactly what to do, comes into the organization, understands what they really do well, and take that along with the additional technical skills that I can provide and build the programs that they can get certified and remain viable in the supply chain. That's one particular client I'll service. So it's almost an easy oh, thing to do, but it's more yeah. about compliance and certification. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what I love is you've got this technical expertise that they're hiring you for, but you then come in and you're able to do some of this other magic around, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the people side, let's say. So talk about what kinds of things you help them see and address when, once you're in there and you've got their trust and you're seen as a, as a really trusted advisor. So, that's my other client. So again, working for the small and medium sized flavor companies, I have been asked to come into my clients um, facilities and actually be the drop in quality leader. So they decided not to uh, put somebody in place or maybe somebody left the, left the business. And while going through transition, they need somebody that can step in who understands what the programs are supposed to be and function um, to provide assurance to our customers and then be able to close gaps, build up the systems and capability. But one of the things that I really do well is that Yes, I can fix things, I can put the programs in the place, but the people, the people are the ones that could get lost or elevated during this time. So the only way I can understand the culture of the business is to spend time understanding the people, the people and their technical skills. And I break this down into a couple different things, but not only what they do and how they do it, but what's behind them. What's their past? What have they been known as experts for in the past? What's the culture that they grew up with? What is their confidence? What are their personal skills? I spend so much time actually starting in that place because I know I can get to the technical problems later, but it's that combined effect of, okay, here's the strategy. We need to close the gaps on your system so you can continue to grow as a business but here's the things you need to do in your organization. So it may be the organization, especially in quality, might not have the technical skills. How can we close that gap? Maybe people are not doing the right job. Maybe they've never had behavior to model on how to communicate, on how to message something for impact based on risk. They just know how to do the work, ship the product out, hope it passes and meets customer expectations, and they've been able to survive like that. No fault of their own. But as they grow, 
the expectations are higher and people skills become so much more important to sustain it. You can always hire technical skills, but honing those people skills, how to communicate, how to message, how to build trust, rally the troops, sometimes is a gap that I see that needs to be filled. Well, my listeners know how much I love what you're saying, of course, because <laughs> my business partner and I just published a book on the top 10 communication skills in uh, the workplace, yes, <laughs> which you have. And so I would love to hear your perspective on some of the things you see people struggle with, because you're so right. People haven't had, you know, it's not part of our uh, formal educational system to teach people these skills. And so where do you see the opportunities for you when working with folks? Um, what are they missing? What's getting in their way and preventing them from being as, let's say, elevated as they might be? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question because you have an online course that kind of pull together all those things that I see that are missing. And it really breaks it down into three areas. Um, it's very human centric. I don't teach them anything about an Excel spreadsheet or the latest software on how to, you know, collect defects or something like that. I can certainly do that, but that's not the best service for the people. I have come to find out there's some basic things that they're missing. I will start with confidence. Um, I find very amazing people, very articulate, but I find that either they've never built up confidence, they've got a limiting mindset, they don't think they have the skills, I've never done that before, I don't get feedback from my, my boss, I don't have that skill over there, and they come to this place where they don't have confidence, and it's possible some of these people had confidence, but a new environment, a new boss, different conditions, uh, things don't behave in the same way and they shrink again. Mm -hmm. Just taking the time to understand where does this lack of confidence come from? Because when we have a one-on-one, -on -one, I see something completely different. I look at these people, highly articulate. Um, they are very good one-on-one -on -one with people. And then something changes when the environment changes, either a group setting, speaking to the boy, boss or something like that. And so we peel that apart. And often when I just ask some questions like I do on podcasting, well, why do you feel you can't do that? Like somebody just said to me today, I'm really good networking and build, you know, I invite people out to lunch all the time, but they're in California. I can't go there right now. Um, I said, why can't you still connect with them? Don't just connect with them in a transaction, have some virtual coffee, some virtual lunch, and just get to know the human. Yeah. I, I teach this in the course, get to know people, don't make assumptions, question yourself while you have limiting beliefs. I spend a lot of time in bringing back confidence because one person said to me, if I could just get my confidence back, the rest is easy. So that's a key point. And there's so many other areas. It that is a big part of it. Do you find that as people get promoted to leadership positions, that imposter syndrome kicks in and gets in the way of their confidence? Are they afraid of being found out, in other words, or um, afraid they won't measure up to what the expectations might be? I see that 
I see a little bit of a fault of the systems because we promote people because of their results, accomplishments, mm -hmm. and don't give them feedback or prepare them on those soft skills. So again, some companies have tried to put things into there like business acumen, political savvy, the Lominger model or whatever model you want to go after, um, especially a lot of the things that you have in your tool. Um, but I don't even think we equip our leaders to coach those behaviors in. So you have these people that move up and the environment and the conditions have changed. So it technically has helped them later. Now they're in a position to have to influence and the team dynamics change. They're not prepared for that. And so I do spend a lot of time, part two of my course, but once we talk about limiting mindset and getting past those beliefs, then it's about really understanding the people in front of you because the people have maybe changed. You're either leading or influencing a larger group. We don't teach that, nor do we provide the oversight and the coaching when you see them perform or not perform in environment, how to give them that feedback. Maybe you get it once a year and then there's no chance to be able to course correct. Yes. Well, that is another such, a, you know, an important aspect because it, the world of being a leader and, and um, you know, being responsible for the performance of a team is really different. So I love that you take that on. What is one thing that you do in the area of, helping people be um, more effective in the way they influence others. What's a tip or an idea that you help them develop? Really great question. As technical professionals or if we're in sales or supply chain, we're taught how to do presentations. We're taught how to package data, push information across and hope we influence somebody to make a decision, but we never are direct about it. We never teach our people it, to say, here's information, here's my analysis on the information and my conclusions. Propose the following action is taken based on this kind of risk and the impact on the business of not doing it. We don't teach our professionals how to communicate powerful messages. But when you think in terms of business, business decisions are always made on risk and impact and not just on a spreadsheet or a chart and hope people can see, obviously, we're in a negative trend. We need to act. Rather than saying we need to throw resources, somebody could say based on the downward trend over three months, we need to take an action and form a team because if we can address this particular problem and get to the root cause, we'll be able to mitigate loss of sales in the amount of say $100,000. That not only communicates a message and a proposal for action and speaks the language of business. We don't train our people. So that's some of the work that I do with individuals to just a little bit of course correction and how they communicate information. They get a different result and that's influence. You know, I remember reading one of your articles around that topic of teaching people to speak more powerfully, uh, that yeah. they can use language <laughs> that's weak in a sense, the way they put words together. And I'd love for you to give a couple of examples of, say, a before and after. What's a way that somebody could say something 
that's not as effective? And then how do you help them kind of upgrade it so that they do have a more effective impact? Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> there is so much in there. Um, this comes from that confidence place, but I'll tell you, once we can get a person to start having confidence and not having that imposter or limiting mindset, there are words we should and shouldn't do, but I'll put a caveat on it. It is dependent on culture. So you do need to know the culture. Some cultures may perceive some of this stronger language to maybe be too aggressive. So know your audience and who you're speaking with. But I have seen professionals say, you know, what do you expect of me? Or um, could we do that? Should we do that? Um, I think this data <laughs> is important and it's very, very weak. And so one, as an example, if you say, um, I think we need to put together a process improvement team to address this negative trend. Not very powerful, you're not going to get a lot of action. A different way of saying that would be, I propose, based on this negative trend that we're seeing, we need to put together a team in place so that we can mitigate this before it becomes a big risk to the business. So words like, I propose, I need, I want, we, we need, um, those slightly more powerful words will change your visibility, will change how people see you and respect you. And it will make people listen differently than I think we need to put together a team or mm, they didn't call me back. Did you make a proposal? Did you make a strong statement, connect it with business? And you will see people respond to you very differently. I would guess that as you're coaching people on this, they just need one instance of making that change and seeing a difference in reaction to reinforce the value of what you're trying to impress upon them. One more tip, the power in simplicity. In a era with so much data and so much information, you can get overloaded and leaders only have moments to see an input, make a decision and an output may be a reaction to what you say. I also coach leaders on more effective written communications, being as simple as possible, state your purpose early on because as people are scrolling through their, their, their media, they don't have time. But if they say important, need a response by Thursday, that's going to grab somebody. And if they make it simple, I need a decision on this so we can move forward for our next part of our project. Even if a leader doesn't respond in the moment, you will grab their attention. That's influence. And they may say, can we set up a meeting? Because they see it's important because you made it important and took the time to say this is the call for action. Again, it's stronger, but if you are having a hard time, even in this era of being more remote, not connected with people, a few small changes, I coach them, you will see the change in how people respond to you and that makes you visible as a leader. You know, that is so true. I think back to my younger years when uh, when you were describing yourself and, you know, these leadership roles as what I like to think of them as where you're, you're jumping in and, and taking initiative, uh, but yet other people might see it as being too pushy. Um, just thinking about our, our paths again, how similar, how, what similar journeys we've been on. But over the years, I've learned what you're saying in terms of being clear 
and concise and using stronger words when necessary because if you don't use them very often they really do get people's attention when you do use them i was thinking recently i needed to get some information from family members and i put the word urgent in the subject line <laughs> and i said and this was like on a friday i said please get back to me by sunday with the information I need. Well, they all got back to me by noon on Saturday because <laughs> I had that word urgent and they just got, they took care of it right away. So I think using discretion, but using these words when we do need to get a rapid response from others is one more tool that I think is effective. With you made an important point was with your family. These were people that you knew and loved and you had a relationship with. The caveat to this is if you start using stronger language uh, when you need it, don't overuse it, but when you start using that stronger language or directness or context, you need to have a foundation of having a relationship with these people. So if you start implementing, we need this, I need that, then you get this persona of being pushy um, or aggressive or too assertive and you get all this negative feedback. But sometimes leaders in an effort to get the results that they want may not have paused to get to know the people in their circle. And if it's somebody that they've never met before, but they've seen them in an email and they say, I need this, blah, blah, blah. Um, you've passed go, go back to jail or something like that. You need to set some relationships here. Just get to know the people a little bit more um, than before. Take the time in your calendar, spend some time. Hey, I just want to get to know more about you. I mean, we've been passing emails back and forth, but tell me a little bit about your past. You will find then when you say urgent in the subject line, those people that you've built those strong relationships on are going to respond to you. So again, that's also part of the coaching that you don't necessarily get in business. You hope you learn it, but people need to make a concerted effort, build those strong relationships, and then you can implement some of these recommendations. Wow, that is a really critical point because I was just sitting here imagining somebody sending me a note sort of demanding, I need this from you with no... Uh, relationship, I would react negatively to that. So I see exactly what you're saying. Yeah, it's like, uh, well, you can just keep waiting if you're going to be like that. But when you can frame something in a context that's relevant for that individual, because you've taken time to get to know them, it goes back to one of our shared values, Deb, this whole idea of people knowing that you care that you are giving to them and they sense that genuine interest, not phony, not contrived, but genuinely taking time to demonstrate to that person, I'm here for you and I want to know more about you. There's nothing that can replace that. And Meredith, you are the expert at that. So thank you because you were so generous during our first meetings. Um, it's a great gift, you know, wanting, truly wanting to get to know the other people and how you can serve them without asking anything in return. So for those of you who might not know Meredith, she is an expert at that and does it genuinely. Oh, thank you. Well, what I'm getting at with this is I think about a leader who is trying to get things done and may feel like, why do I need to take time for that? In fact, 
you get better results over the long term if you recognize the importance of taking time to invest in the relationship building aspect. So Deb, there were other things that you teach in the course besides the first couple of things that you've just mentioned here, the whole confidence and the setting of, of beliefs and how to be influential with other people. What's another area that you have found to be so important in your work with leaders in organizations? I'm so glad you asked that question. You know, one of the things that I actually find is that one, we don't know how to ask for feedback because it's a moment in time what that we're scared. We don't know what it's going to be. And also their leaders where the people that we ask for feedback from or clients, we're not prepared to even answer it because sometimes if you say, how am I doing that open endedness kind of catches people off guard and we don't prepare both the people asking and the people giving in a way that provides value. So I try to break it down, not only asking for personal feedback, asking for feedback from others. We need to ask it in a different way. And, and some of the ways that I suggest it be is that be very prescriptive about it. What should I continue to do? May leverage a strength. What should I maybe start doing, which is not necessarily negative or positive, but may enhance what I'm already doing or maybe mitigate something I'm not doing so well. And then what should I change? And sometimes that's just a course correction. And again, not negative or positive. I talk or teach people that I'm working with in the business and people that I'm mentoring through the course, one, not to fear it anymore, that when you ask for this, feedback is a gift. And when you ask for it in that way, you actually put leaders or the people responding in a way, well, what's working? What should they continue? What sticks out? It makes it so much easier to provide that feedback. And I also recommend that we do it often, not just at an annual performance review or at the end of an assignment. I teach where it should be a continuous part of your personal development process improvement. I ask clients when I get off the phone with them, you know, okay, so what worked for you? Um, what, what should I continue to do? I just want to make sure I continue to service you. What should I continue? What should I start doing? Anything I should change? And it just levels the playing field. It makes it a little bit less anxious. People can respond to maybe more specific questions. And then feedback becomes something that not only can I react to and implement, but once you have it, even if it doesn't resonate in the moment, it's something that you can at least think about. And again, if it doesn't resonate right away, pause, think about it, because maybe not directly what they're suggesting, but something else may be that gift that can improve your personal performance. So uh, performance, feedback, so important and should do it often. <laughs> Though that's such a great tip. And I think a key element there in terms of people giving it more often is how, how is it received? And when we are the ones, I'm thinking of you, you know, it takes courage to ask for the input that you ask for because you really don't know what your client's going to say. And yet it's so important because they may have some issue that they wouldn't bring up if you didn't ask. And so therefore you open yourself up to learning so you make the experience for both of you better. But imagine when somebody responds defensively, if they even ask for it, are they prepared to really hear it? 
So how do you help leaders, you know, get in that, you might call it a mindset or a position where they don't feel threatened by the feedback, they don't take it personally or to let their ego get wounded? (laughs) Again, this is all about bravery, but I will say minor course corrections in how you react to information that's not mentally or emotionally processing we need to find mechanisms to short circuit that negative energy into something that is positive and flows. So one of my biggest advisors, my husband, and again, he's a business owner. I'm a business owner. I'm strong willed. I know what I'm doing here may give me feedback and say, you know, I don't think you should be doing that. Hmm. I respond. I react. And that may be human nature because it's mine. I'm protecting it. But I have learned over time, there's a couple things you can deal with. I say, you know, that's interesting. Short circuit it. That's interesting. I never saw it that way. Let me think about that. I'd like to talk about it tomorrow. I'm not saying no or yes, but let me think about it. Or help me to understand. I'm not connecting with you right now. I, I hear what you're saying, but maybe you can give me a situation where you felt that I wasn't meeting that expectation. Asking more questions rather than reacting in the moment is the best offense or asset, I might say, to continuing a productive conversation, especially where it could be a point of conflict, but maybe it's started some beautiful discovery. Mm-hmm. I love both of those approaches because what it does is it, if you keep those in mind, it keeps you from jumping in with defensiveness or arguments or justifications that only put the other person then on either the attack or the defensiveness. And therefore your, your potential for fruitful discussion kind of goes down the drain. Now I will say there's always a caveat. I mean, there's, you always have to understand the situation. Um, Know your audience. Sometimes we don't have to make things soft and help me to understand. Maybe some people like confrontation. I don't agree with you. Help me to understand that. You know, make sure that you don't diminish who you are. You don't use language that's too soft that you're afraid of hurting somebody's feelings. Just know emotions are there. Acknowledge them. You may feel inside, I don't agree with this or I don't understand it. Breathe. (laughs) Take a moment. I'm going to come back to you. Um, Acknowledge emotions because they do exist. And if you try to compartmentalize those emotions by, let let me pick some politically correct words. I will tell you that that superpower of mine has actually hurt me because I may not then be able to hear and understand somebody that cares about me, some strong feedback that they want to give me because they care about me and they want to either protect me or help me. So emotions are important. Know how to acknowledge them. Um, Don't deny them. They're part of the process. That is such important wisdom. I love what you've been sharing and we could continue going down this road. I know Uh, but we don't um, have a lot more time. So what I want to do next is simply ask you, because I know there are people listening to this that are going to be eager to learn more about what's in that course of hers. I want to get to know Deb more. How can people connect with you and how can they learn more about either that course or the other services that you offer? 
All right. So um, I'm excited. I, um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if you type in Deborah, D-E-B-O-R-A-H-A, Coviello, you'll find me. Um, my website is dropinceo.com, D-R-O-P-I-N-C-E-O.com. Uh, you can connect with me on my connect page or contact page. And uh, you'll see me on Instagram, Twitter, dropinceo, or just message me via email, uh, Deborah at cobiello.com. I would love to continue the conversation and learn more about you and how I can service you. Well, thank you, Deb. I'm so glad you've been with me and with my audience today. It's been so much fun. And I, I just appreciate all the wonderful ways that you are making a difference with your clients and honestly with everyone you come into contact with because you also have this wonderful superpower of making whoever you're with feel valued and important. Meredith, thank you so much. You... Um I sincerely appreciate this. Again, for people that are seeing this or listening, we could just talk for hours. Again, all we want to do is help people reach their best performance, live fulfilling lives. And I know that sounds soft, but it's so important because we do great work, but ultimately it's about spending more time with our families or doing the things that we truly love. And by being able to perform well in the workplace or even in our personal life, um, we get more out of life. So thank you for the opportunity to have this conversation and share it with our listeners. That was great. Thanks, Deb. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, grab our free ebook, The Five Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.